0: Well, I want to begin by sharing with you a story about a gentleman named Carl McCunn, a friendly Texan who moved to Alaska in the late 1970s where he got a job with the Trans-Alaskan Pipeline. Now, Carl concocted an adventure, an adventure that's made its way into more than one book, and has puzzled residents of the 49th state for the years since. You see, Carl came up with the idea of going on a photo expedition, a five-month trip in which he would be dropped off in a distant part of the state of Alaska, and he would spend the summer taking pictures. That in and of itself is really not that unusual, He put together a plan for this adventure, and his friends remember how prepared he was, how detailed he was in this preparation. He arranged for a plane to take him in March of 1981 to a place near the Colleen River, a very remote lake. He took a couple rifles, he took a shotgun took 1,400 pounds of provisions and 500 rolls of film, and he set up his tent, and he went about that season of isolation, blissfully unaware of the oversight that would eventually cost him his life. You see, Carl had made no arrangements to be picked up. I mean, of all the things to forget he had a plane drop him off but he didn't talk to anyone about making sure they would come back and pick him up and he didn't even realize his unbelievable blunder until august and we know this because he left behind a 100 page diary that the alaskan troopers found near his body the following february and in an understatement the size of Mount McKinley. McCunn wrote, I think I should have used more foresight about arranging for my departure. The days shortened. The air chilled. He began searching the ground for food, searching the sky for rescue. By the end of September, the snow was piling, the lake was frozen, and his supplies were nearly gone. By late November, he was out of food. He was out of strength, and he was out of optimism. And one of his final diary entries reads, This is sure a slow and agonizing way to die. Isolated with no hope of rescue. Trapped. With no exit. Nothing to do but wait for the end. A chilling story. It's a puzzling story. I mean, how does that happen? He knew that it was a temporary stay. He knew that this time in the wilderness, that this adventure was just a season in his life. So how can somebody know that and not make any preparation for the future? And yet people do it all the time. Just kind of go through life. No exit strategy, no preparation, little thought. Of what's coming next. Yet the Bible is clear in its description of this life as just being a short-term assignment. It's a temporary thing. We're just passing through. The Bible actually calls it a season. So my hope today is to not only get you thinking about what lies ahead, but also what the Bible teaches us as Christians that we can actually look forward to. In the next season. I'm going to give you four points today that will hopefully inspire you to live this life focusing on that prize. So we have to begin by talking about what we all know is coming. I'm not talking about the Super Bowl. I'm talking about death. Death is a 100% certainty. We're just not certain when it's going to happen. Hebrews 9, verse 27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. So we die by appointment. And trust me, this is one appointment you ain't going to miss. So to not prepare for something that we know is going to happen is foolish, and it's no different than Carl McCunn's story. It's like having... No exit strategy. But we'd rather not talk about it. We would rather not be reminded of it because that would make us uncomfortable. It can be scary. Two mafia hitmen were walking deep into a dark forest in the middle of the night. And one mafia guy turns to the other and he says, i got to be honest with you. This place gives me the creeps. I'm a little scared out here. The other mafia guy says, You're scared. I have to walk back alone. We don't like to be scared. We don't like to talk about death. We don't like to think about death because the thing is it makes us uncomfortable. And for some of us, the mere thought of it just terrifies us. So we'd rather just not think about it. And the problem with this is my first point of the day. The way we view death impacts the way we live life. The way we view death impacts the way we live life. Ecclesiastes 7 verses 1 through 4 says this, The day one dies is better than the day he is born. It is better to spend your time at funerals than at festivals, for you are going to die, and it's a good thing to think about it while there is still time. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. Yes, a wise man thinks much of death, while the fool thinks only of having a good time now. So the way you view death will impact the way you live your life. You see, the person that thinks when they die, well, that's it. End of story. They will make decisions in life that reflect that way of thinking. You see, if there's no goal to focus on, if there's no judgment, then there's a belief that we won't be held accountable for our actions. And if nobody cares, why should we? See, there's certain things that you might be willing to do if you think no one else is watching or ever going to know about it. My wife Loretta and I, we have seven grandchildren. And one time, a bunch of them were over at the house. And everyone's gathered around the table playing games. Everyone but me, because I don't play games. My wife says every party needs a pooper, and that's me. But honestly, I don't trust my wife's games. They were all playing this game called being boozled. This is a jelly bean eating game. You pull the top up, and then you push it back down, and two jelly beans appear. And you pick one and you have to eat it. I mean, this sounds like an easy, yummy game, but these are not all ordinary jelly beans. You see, each color has an evil twin. And if we look at the back of it, it actually says these jelly beans may look alike, but they could not taste more different from each other. Think you can tell them apart? We dare you. And if you look... There's flavors that you could be getting a lime or you could be getting lawn clippings. And it really tastes like grass. Chocolate pudding, canned dog food, licorice skunk spray. Here's a good one, juicy pear or booger. You see why I don't join in on game night? So they're playing this game. And my granddaughter, Adrienne, it's her turn to go. And she's like four at the time. A green one and a black one popped up. She picked green and she popped it in her mouth. She started to chew and we instantly knew she had chosen poorly. And she was getting a full dose of a booger flavored jelly bean. She spit it out, decided that she really didn't want to play this game anymore. Well, the next morning, my wife, Loretta, she gets up and she's cooking breakfast. Adrian finally wakes up and we hear her coming down the stairs. She walks into the living room and my wife jokingly says to her, Adrian, are you hungry or did you get full eating that booger? Adrian looked at her and said, How did you know that I just ate a booger in bed? (laughs) Loretta said, I didn't. I was talking about the game last night. But here's my point. We have a tendency to live our lives differently when we aren't thinking about one day being held accountable for what we're doing. See, in that scripture in Ecclesiastes that we just read, King Solomon wrote that. And he's saying it's wise for us to think about death because thinking about death will sharpen your understanding of life. It'll make you change the way you're doing things. But I know we don't like to discuss death. And you know, I think one of the reasons it's so unsettling to us is there just seems to be so much uncertainty about it because there's no way that you and I can fully comprehend death so i think before we get an understanding how life here on earth ends we must first understand how it all began and to do that we're going to go to the beginning of the bible the beginning of life and in genesis chapter 2 verse 7 It says, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So here's my second point of the day. You are not who you are because of your body. You are who you are because of your soul. You are not who you are because of your body. You are who you are because of your soul. So in the beginning, God formed the man from the dirt, brought up from the dirt, brought up from the dust. He formed the body. But he was a lifeless statue until God breathed into him. God gave him a soul. That's the breath of life. And you know, it's crazy that, As a society, we seem to put all the emphasis on the body. We think, man, we got to look good in the swimsuit. We need to look like people in magazines. We spend all this time. We spend all this money on our bodies. When in actuality, the body is a container for the soul. Your soul is what gives you life. So, if life begins... When the soul enters the body, then this life ends when the soul departs the body. You see, in the Bible, the definition of death means to separate. When you and I use the word death, what we're talking about is what James 2 verse 26 calls the body without the spirit. Now in death, we know what happens to the body We can see that. That's not the uncertain part for us. What happens to the soul when it separates from the body? You see, here lies our struggle. And to find this answer, we once again go to the Bible where Jesus, who I might add is very qualified to talk to us about death, he tells us this story in Luke chapter 16 Verse 19, he says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So Jesus tells us about two men, a rich man and a poor man. One man appears to have everything. The other appears to have nothing. Jesus goes on. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So, both men died. Poor man died. Rich man died. Death doesn't care how much you have in the bank. Death doesn't care where you live. Death doesn't care how you live. Both men equally dead. But notice that Jesus, when discussing both men and their death, he uses a conjunction, not a period. A conjunction which leads into something else, not a period which represents the end. So my third point I want to make is death isn't the end of anything. It's the beginning of everything. Death isn't the end of anything. It's the beginning of everything. It says the poor man died and It says the rich man died and. You see, their are stories didn't end with death. When a person dies, the reason it's not over is because the thing that died is only the body, not the soul. Remember, you're not who you are because of your body. You are who you are because of your soul. So their dying wasn't the end of anything. But as we're getting ready to see, it was the beginning of everything. Both men die and both men's souls are carried away. There's the separation that we spoke about. Jesus says the beggar, Lazarus' soul, was carried away by angels to Abraham's side, a term meaning heaven. You see, Abraham being a highly revered person in Jewish history, a protector, a patron. So Jesus is using this term, attempting to convey the sense that Lazarus went to a place of contentment, went to a place of rest, went to a place of peace. Man, what an experience. Think about it. What an experience this must have been for poor Lazarus. One moment. He's collapsed at the gate of a very rich man. He's a dying beggar. And the next moment, he's being carried away by angels to heaven? You see, in life, it appeared he had nothing. And in death, he has everything. In a sad contrast, the rich man finds himself in torment in hell with no one to help him, no one to assist, no one to console him, a place the Bible describes as weeping, gnashing of teeth. Now you can read the rest of the story yourself. This was all that I needed to make my point, but if you do read it, You're going to see now that the roles are reversed and the rich man is the one begging for water and begging for someone to warn his family that this place is real, not to live as he had, and then being told that if someone won't believe the Scriptures, then no one's going to be able to convince them either. It's really a scary story. You know, we're all going to die. We are all going to die, and our souls will separate from our bodies. And there's only two options given in Scripture where they'll go. I mean, people can make up all the extra ones they want, but there's only two given in the Bible, a place called heaven and a place called hell, and you will spend eternity in one of these two places. Here's my fourth point. The choice we make now is the choice God honors later. The choice we make now is the choice God honors later. You know, ever since my... Kids were little. We always spend a weekend at Holiday World. Holiday World in Santa Claus, Indiana. Their water park's been voted the America's best water park for countless years running, and we still go every year. We just take grandkids now. But a reoccurring theme that happens every single year is this: I wait. An hour and a half in the smoldering sun, surrounded by whining kids, to ride a water slide that lasts about 10 seconds, that I don't even want to ride in the first place. Listen, they're 40 pounds. I'm 220. The inner tube always rotates to the chubbiest person. So I'm always going down in the front backwards unable to see my impending death that's surely awaiting me. Well, anyway, after waiting miserably in line forever, one of the kids always decides that once we get to the top and next in line, that they really don't want to go now after all. You see, fear has set in. And they've changed their mind. And I always have to say that ship's done sailed. You are going. It's too late to turn back. Your choice has been made. And you know that heaven and hell works the same way. You don't make your choice when you get there. You're making your choice about heaven and hell now. See, eternity is a place where the choice you and I make in this season will be honored in the next. And if I make a choice and I say, God, I want to keep you at arm's length. I want to believe what other people are saying to me. I want to follow the ways that society is leading. I want to do my own thing, God. You stay over there, I'll stay over here. If I make that choice now, God honors it when I get to eternity. And I will live in separation from Him. Now, if I choose to say, God... I want to make you my priority. I want to make a relationship with your son, Jesus, a priority. I want to get closer to you. I want to learn more about you. I choose to follow you. God will honor this, and I'll live eternally in His presence, close to Him, following Him. God says to each of us, have it your way. You know, Jesus gives us two commandments in Matthew 22, verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich. There's nothing wrong with money. Heck, I wish I had more of it. But he allowed money to be his God. His riches, his fancy things, they grabbed a hold of his heart. Man, that's what he lived for. His actions showed it. He wouldn't even share crumbs with a poor, starving neighbor. He made a choice. He lived according to that choice, and God honored that choice. Lazarus, though it appeared he had nothing, in actuality that man had everything. Man, even though things were tough for him, even though life was trying for him, he made a decision. He chose God and God honored that decision. And not everything that we go through in life is easy. Not everything we go through in life is fair. The thing is, we don't live in a perfect world. There's thieves that are going to prey on people. There's religious nuts that blow up buildings. Mom and dads get divorced. Kids in school may treat you a certain way. People have accidents. The world has, gosh, as we know, sicknesses, diseases. Your choice should not waver because of your circumstances. James 1 verse 2 says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who who love Him. Your reward is not here. Your reward is in heaven. Where Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6 say, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Revelation 21, verse 4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death." or mourning, or crying, or paying for the old order of things has passed away. Nothing here will ever trump anything there. And if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, which means you've given your life to Jesus Christ, because you got to know to choose God means you have to choose Jesus. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John 3, 16 says, whoever believes in Him, talking about Jesus, shall not perish, but have eternal life. So if you're a Christ follower, you do not have to fear death because you are fearing something that you will never experience. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the moment you leave the body, you will be in the presence of God. You won't even experience the very thing that gives some of you the most fear. Man, how can that not change the way you look at things? You see, that's the difference between a funeral and a celebration. You know, God gave the Apostle Paul, Paul who wrote over half the New Testament, God gave him just a glimpse Just pull back the curtain and give him just a glimpse of heaven. And in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, Paul says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Paul can't even describe it. He tries. He can't even describe it. He's saying this place is so amazing that there's not even words To use for it. You're not going to believe what awaits us. Your mind cannot even comprehend how great heaven is. And he said that's the prize that we should be focusing on. He basically said I'm going to live this life now as a race. And it's just going to be a race to get there. Nothing. It can try, but nothing's going to stop me from attaining that prize. Everything I do from here on out is to help me reach that. That's my focus. I'm focusing on the prize. And man, that needs to be our focus. Not here You see, this is just a season. Pretend this rope... Pretend it just goes on forever. It just goes on and on. Now, imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence and you see this red part here this red part would represent your time here on earth very few short years right here and then we have all of this all this time to be somewhere else This is your existence. And to think that so many people, so many people only think about this part. And they just get consumed with it. And they say, oh man, I can't wait till I get like right here. I'm going to, I'm going to save and I'm going to save and I'm going to save so that, so that I can really enjoy this part of my life right here. What about all of this? What about all of this here? You know, it's crazy because the Bible says that what I do during this part determines how I'm going to live, where I'm going to live in eternity. And Paul says, man, we need to live our lives focusing on the prize. We need to invest our lives for the moment that we cross this line. Right here. Because listen, when we face God... We don't get this chance all over again. We only have one shot here on earth. And it could end at any time for any of us. We've got one chance. And then we have all of this. All of eternity. Let's stand for closing prayer. bow our heads well dear lord jesus we god we come before you right now thankful for your word and thankful for the opportunity to take the focus off of us and put it unto you god forgive us for letting things of this world time in this season consume us Things that aren't important, God, we let them grab our hearts and we repent, God. We turn away from that way of thinking. We turn away from that way of doing. God, help us to think like Paul and run the race focusing on the prize. God, allow us to no longer be fearful of death, but to be able to truly celebrate it as a passing into glory.